I were talking before church about what it means to live in Bullock County. How many Bullock County people do we have here today? Yeah, a bunch. You notice that a Bullock County individual cannot raise their hand without also saying, Woo! And that's kind of what we were talking about, is that it can get noisy in Bullock County. How many of you know that? From now until, you know, uh, for the next couple of months at least, I mean, there are going to be fireworks. There are going to be gunshots. I mean, you, you, you're going to hear all kinds of noise in Bullitt County. And I was just thinking that if Bullitt County and Louisville's the same way, if we can get excited about life and freedom and all the many things that are good blessings in our lives and want to be noisy about it, then surely to goodness the people of God can be noisy about their relationship with Jesus Christ. I was in a service Friday night at our prayer conference, and there was a youth choir that sang from the Man of War Church. But prior to their singing, when the, when the regular praise team was offering up worship, musical worship, there were kids that came out of the seats and, and, and came forward, and they were just jumping and dancing. And, and I, there was something inside of me that said, I want to I wanna jump too. But at my age, you don't jump as high as you used to. And so I just sat there, and I, I didn't sit. I was standing, and I said, Lord, my heart is jumping, though my body is not. I'm doing the same thing inside that they're doing externally. And it did my heart good to see those young people worshiping the Lord. And secretly, I longed for that in our church I just pray that Sunday after Sunday that people get tired of sitting in their seats and just hanging back there, but that you'll just feel like I've got to come forward and worship God and glorify His name and make some noise for Jesus. Amen? And I pray that we will get to that place, and I know that we will. Amen? But it was glorious to see that kind of worship. So I thank you for being here today. Uh, for a day like today, it's always a little... Uh, for a pastor, it, it can be sometimes a little bit of a letdown, but I, I know where people are today. We've got several people that are on vacation. I've already been notified today that one is going to be gone for the next six weeks, and I'm going to live vicariously through them because I know they're going to Florida to the Panhandle, and they're going to be enjoying life. But they said, I will be online with you while I'm gone. Can you praise the Lord for people that still want to worship even when they're on vacation. But in all seriousness, we have a lot of sickness in our church right now. I mean, this morning my phone was just blowing up like Pastor John's. We've got this, um, this stomach virus, I guess, that's going around and a lot of our kids uh, getting it from school and daycare and all of that kind of thing. It's just one of those seasonal kind of issues that you deal with. Uh, but rather than focus on the sickness and those who aren't here, I'm thankful for those of you who are here today and the ones who are online with us this morning. And I have a, a word from the Lord, I believe, for us. And I want us to receive it today with open hearts. Now, last week, I asked this question. Uh, the same question that Jesus asked when He was on the earth. And He stepped up when all of the 
the imperial heralds were giving their announcements and representing the king and Caesar. And Jesus just kind of stood up with them, although he was not supposed to do that. You know, Jesus was a rule breaker occasionally when, when he needed to do that. And he stepped up and he said, hey, is anyone thirsty? Do you remember us talking about that last week? Is anybody thirsty? Today I have a different question that's very similar, and the question is simply this. Is there anybody here today that's hungry for Jesus? I'll tell you I am hungry. Sister Wanda brought me two pieces of cherry cheesecake Wednesday night uh, for before Bible study, and she said, I had these and I brought them to you, and and all during the Bible study, I could see those pieces of cherry cheesecake over there on the chair. And I couldn't hardly even do Bible study because I was so, I could not wait to get home. And when we got home, I hadn't been set down good before I started into that cherry cheesecake. And I thank God for one the louder milk and I praise the Lord that he has her in this congregation and it was so good. I was hungry. And I left Donna's piece in the refrigerator. And I'm surprised that it survived until, until she ate it the next day. Because I was hungry. You know, I, I want to be that hungry for Jesus. I, I want to have such a hunger in me that I can't make it without Him in my life. And so today I want to talk to you for a few moments this morning about the subject matter, the bread of life. How many of you know that Jesus is not only the one who is the, the river of living water that is in us and flows out of us, but he is also our sustenance. He is our, our, our provision in the land of the living and he referred to himself as the bread of life. So I want us to talk about that today. And let's start with this statement. It's simply this. Jesus alone, say alone, can satisfy my spiritual hunger. For he alone is the bread of life. There's nobody like Jesus. And no one can satisfy our spiritual hunger except for Him. So let's pray and then we'll get into the Word this morning. Father, thank You for this wonderful time of worship that we've been able to experience this morning. I'm always delighted to be in Your house and I'm amazed that You would select me to allow and allow me to represent You in the pulpit. I don't take it lightly. I know that it is a calling upon my life, and I want to be faithful to it. Lord, I pray for this congregation this morning that they will receive the word that is coming forth today. I stand upon the promises of God that says that your word will never return to you void, but it always accomplishes everything that you've sent it forth to do. And so I pray, Lord God, that you will allow your word to minister life to us today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning and you'd like to go ahead and turn to John chapter 6, 
Uh, you can do that. It will also be on the screens or if you have your devices with you today and you'd like to navigate through your Bible app to John chapter 6, I will get there in just a moment. But I want to set the context of our message today that we'll see in John chapter 6. Just prior to Jesus saying these words and talking about being the bread of life, he had just been teaching a group of Galileans that had gathered around to hear the powerful words that he was speaking. And they had been listening to him talk all day long. They were out there in the hot sun and they were that they were tired and they were thirsty and they were hungry. And Jesus looked over at his disciples and he said, I know that they are in need of bread. They are in need of some food and some substance, uh, sub substance for their body. And I want to know, what are we going to do about it? And he looks over at Andrew and he says to Andrew, he said, how are we going to feed these people? And Andrew, a little bewildered, he said, well, I don't really know how we're going to get to the stores and get enough food to be able to come. However, we have a little boy here today that has a lunch with him with a little bit of bread and a couple of fish. And it's interesting that Jesus did not say, well, that will not be enough. He said, bring it to me. And he brought that little boy's lunch, and then he took it, and he gave thanks for it, and he began to distribute that food uh, through the disciples to a group of people that we know numbered about 5,000 people at least. I say at least because we know that that was only the men that were being counted. They didn't count the women. They didn't count the children. So if you counted the women and the children that were likely there that day, it was probably closer to about 15,000 people that were in attendance listening to Jesus that day. Now you and I both know that in the natural that five loaves of bread and two fish could never in a million years feed 15,000 people. But how many of you know that when Jesus is involved in a situation, you can never count him out. He always has the ability to supply what is necessary. And he gave thanks and he began to break it and they began to distribute that and you know the rest of the story. Every one of them were fed until their bellies were full and there were 12 basketfuls of leftovers left over after the miracle was complete. Now, how many of you have heard of that miracle before? Can I see your hands? Everyone in this room knows about that miracle. Everybody's heard it taught on, preached about, and you know what Jesus did on that particular day. And so that had just taken place, and when it was over, 
he looks to his disciples and he says, now I want you to go ahead and cross the sea and go to the other side and wait for me there. Jesus went into the mountain to, to pray and to spend some alone time and to rest his body. And he, he had in, implied that he would join them on the other side. And you know how that story went. They went to the other side and, and Jesus in the middle of the night walked across the water to get to the other side to meet the disciples. Well, the next day, these Galileans started looking for Jesus. They wanted more of what they had received from Jesus the day before, but they couldn't find him. And so they started listening to the rumors that during the night that he had gone to the other side. So they started getting boats, and they started walking. They started doing everything that they could to get back into the presence of Jesus. That all sounds wonderful, doesn't it? But what we didn't realize and don't realize is, is that when they wanted to get into the presence of Jesus, they wanted to be around Jesus for all the wrong reasons. Their motives were not pure. They wanted something from him rather than wanting him. And that's really what I want to talk to you about today. Because I'm convinced that we live in a world and in a nation that has been so spoiled by God and our blessings that we no longer want to just be in the presence of Jesus. We're no longer satisfied with just having Him. We have to have all the bells and whistles that goes along with Jesus. And what I want us to see today is that Jesus is enough. Jesus is sufficient for each and every one of us. Listen, if we have Jesus, we have everything that we need. We don't have to have all the bells and the whistles because the bells and the whistles just come along when Jesus is there. When Jesus is in our midst, he does amazing things. So if you have your Bibles open now, look with me, if you will, to John chapter 6, beginning at verse 30. John chapter 6, beginning at verse 30. Uh, the, these Galileans had crossed over. They had found Jesus and the disciples, and this is what they say. What sign, then, are you going to do so that we may see and believe you, they asked. And what are you going to perform? <clears throat> Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. <clears throat> and Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven. Do you see that? Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven. But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who, for the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, Sir, give us this bread always. And he said, I am the bread of life. 
Jesus told them, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Now listen, Jesus was either lying to them or he was speaking about something that would come into their life that was different than that, what they could even imagine in the natural realm. Now, how many of you know that if you ate breakfast this morning, by the time that I get done preaching and we get out of here, you're going to be hungry again? Some of you are already thinking about it. Some of you are trying to plan about where you're going to go when church is over. Some of you are already thirsty for another drink of water or whatever it is that you brought with you today. He's not talking about something natural. He's talking about something spiritual that is going to take place. Now go down to verse 47 with me, if you will. Verse 47 through 51 says, Truly, I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. And he says again, I am the bread of life. Now let me just stop long enough to say that what he is telling them is that you must believe before you do anything else. You must believe. And then he says, I am the sustenance that will bring life to you. Scripture tells us, that He is our provision in the land of the living. He is everything that we need spiritually. He is the bread of life. Now, I, I don't want to get myself in trouble with anybody today, but I'm, I'm going to take a chance here anyway. I'm going to swing for the fences. If you're trying to get your spiritual needs met through anyone other than Jesus Christ, you are wasting your time because he is the only way to the Father. Jesus Christ is the answer for this world. We used to sing that years ago. Jesus is still the answer for the world today. He's not an answer. He's not an option. He is the answer. He is the only option and if you're here today and you've never come to that realization and accepted him as the bread of your life you are wasting your time trying to find spiritual strength anywhere else it will only come when you submit yourself to Jesus Christ he said, I am the bread of life your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. What's he talking about? Is he talking about physically dying? Well, they had physically died. These were the ancestors. They had eaten the manna of God. They died, Jesus said. But he wasn't talking about something physical because they would have already known that and accepted the fact that none of us live forever, right? In these bodies. We do live forever eternally in the spirit realm. But he was talking about those who had died spiritually because they did not believe. 
and they did not accept the truth of God. And so they died in the desert physically. They died spiritually as well because they did not believe. Verse 50, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. Who can have this bread of life? It's very clear. He said, anyone who will eat of it can have it. Aren't you glad for that today? Man, I'm so glad I needed a bite of Jesus so many years ago. And when I came to Him to receive from Him, He did not cast me away. He did not look at me and say, though you're not earthly worthy, I'm going to make you spiritually worthy, and you can have all of me that you want. Amen. And you know, after all of these years of serving Jesus, I still do not have enough of Him. I need more every day of my life. I'm so hungry for Jesus uh, that I can taste Him every day of my life. And the Scripture tells us to taste and see that He is good. Amen. Aren't you glad that He is good to us? Give Him praise in the house this morning. And then in verse 51, I'm sorry I'm getting all excited this morning. And I'm just, I just can't hardly contain myself when I start thinking about how good God has been to me. And, and so thankful that God so loved the world that He gave us the only begotten Son. Uh, so that whoever would believe on Him should have life and not perish. God did not condemn the world, but through Jesus Christ we are saved. Amen. All right, Rob, calm down now. Verse 51, he said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. He's speaking prophetically. He knows that he will have to give his life so that we can experience this blessing of heavenly bread. That sounds good, doesn't it? The problem is, these Galileans didn't have a clue what he was talking about. They just couldn't grasp it, and they just couldn't understand it. Now, today, we got people in this house today that you don't know what he's talking about. You have not grasped the truth of what Jesus is saying here. And many of us can get to a place in our life when we are more concerned about what Jesus can give us and do for us than we are about just sitting in His presence. The other day, it was a beautiful day out. Donna was feeling good. I was feeling good. I went outside and I kind of straightened up the back deck and I, I went in and I said, would you, would you like to come out and sit on the back deck with me for a few minutes? And, and she just, she said, yes, sir. And she got up and outside we went and we set her in her chair and my, me in my chair and we just sat there and, and just enjoyed being outside together. 
I didn't ask her to bring me a cup of coffee. I didn't ask her to bring me a lemonade. I didn't ask her to bring me a cookie. I just wanted her to be on the deck with me. That's all I needed. I didn't need anything else. I just needed her to be there because she is the light of my life. And when I'm close to her, I can just tingle all over, I'm telling you, because I love being in the presence of my wife but as much as I love being in her presence let me tell you something today there's nothing like being in the presence of Jesus Christ and the wonderful thing about that is I don't have to invite Jesus to come along with me I don't have to get him into the car with me I don't have to say Lord if you'd like to hang out with me today I'd love to have you come by I don't have to do any of that because when I accepted him as my savior he put his spirit within me so that everywhere I go no matter what time of the day it is I can know that that I am in the presence of Jesus Christ, the very Son of God. There I go getting excited again. So why didn't these Gal Galileans get the message? What was wrong? Well, the first thing I want to point out to you is that they forgot that God is the source of all that is good in life. They just forgot it. They were seeking miracles. They, they, they were thinking about what used to be. They were thinking about the manna that their forefathers had eaten. In fact, they even bragged about how that Moses provided the manna in the desert. They thought it was all man-made. They thought it was something that Moses had conjured up. You know, I think sometimes we, we in our churches, we tend to have our programs and, and we, we have our leadership teams that put it all together and our, and our singers and our, and, our, and our children's ministries and our prayer team and, our, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with order. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But if we're not careful, we can get so programmed into our religious activity that we forgot that Jesus cannot be programmed into anything. He moves in at the Spirit and through the Spirit, and He is the source of everything good in our lives. And Jesus just looked at them and He said, Listen to me well. You've been blessed but that manna did not come from Moses. He was very clear about it. He said the manna that they ate did not come from Moses, but came from the very hand of God. Listen, we Americans are very protective of our stuff. We're protective of our house. We're protective of our families. We're protective of our jobs. We're protective of our bank accounts. We're protected of those things. And we are naive enough to believe that we are the reason that we are blessed the way that we are. But let me remind you of something today. Everything that you are and everything that you have was sourced into your life by God. You say, well, no. 
I got what I got through nature. Nature provides for me what I have. Or I got what I got through mankind who sows into my life. And that's where I get my stuff. I have what I have because I work hard to achieve it. Well, let me just remind you very quickly that nature was created by God the Father. So if you got blessed through and by nature, you got blessed not by nature, but by God who created it. Mankind may bless you just like Wanda brought me a piece of cheesecake. Mankind blessed me. But did you know that God created Wanda and Wanda created the cheesecake and the cheesecake came to me and the cheesecake went into me and I was blessed because of the cheesecake that was made by Wanda and was made by God Almighty because he knew her before she was conceived in her mother's womb and gave her the ability to be a blessing to others. So I don't care how you want to define where your blessings come. You would be wrong unless you say everything that is good in my life is because of the blessings of God upon me. Aren't you glad that the Lord loves us enough to bless us? One poet said it like this. Back of the loaf is the snowy flower. Back of the flower, the mill. Back of the mill are the wheat and the shower and the sun and the Father's will. Listen, if you're blessed today, it's because God the Father has decided to bless you in a way that will minister to you. John chapter 1, verse 1 through 3 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and all things, look at your neighbor, say all things. That means everything. You know that, right? All things were created through him and apart from him. Not one thing was created that has been created. If you didn't believe me before, you got to believe the Word of God and know that from the very beginning of time, He has been creating everything good. James chapter 1 verse 17 says, every good and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Listen, if you've been blessed, it's because it has been released from the heavenlies into your life. You say, well, I can't think of one reason to give God praise. Well, then you're just not thinking well. Because everything in your life that is good has come from God. The bread of life. Number two, they forgot that miracles would not satisfy their hunger for God. I'm going to get myself in trouble right now. I already know I'm going to get some emails about this and that kind of thing. But listen, in the United States of America, we have become so spoiled, we are so blessed that we cannot be satisfied with just whatever God has for us, even if that includes suffering. 
even if that includes lack. You say, oh, no, 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 there's no lack in... No, there are times that God allows us to experience lack so that when provision comes, we can know beyond any shadow of a doubt that the provision came from the hand of God. We seek miracles. If I had a nickel for every time a church member came to me and said, I've been praying for signs and wonders and miracles. Well, me too. But sometimes God brings miracles and sometimes He doesn't. And if we're not careful, we will get really excited about Jesus when the miracles are flowing. And then we get a little ambivalent about this religious thing when the miracles aren't there. And we start questioning, why are the miracles not there? You say, where are you getting this from? All right, I'm going to show you. When these Galileans came to Jesus on the next day, they didn't come seeking Jesus. They didn't come saying, oh my goodness, we found Jesus. Praise God. We're in the presence of Jesus again. We had to look, but we finally found him. He was all the way on the other side of the lake. It took a little bit for us to get here, but we're here. We're in the presence of Jesus. Oh Lord, we praise you and we thank you for what you did yesterday. The greatest miracle that has ever been experienced on the face of the earth to this time. You fed 5,000 people with uh, uh, five loaves of bread and two fish and we've just come to say thank you and we've just come to say we praise you and we've just come to say we've never seen anything like this before we've just come by to say oh you are awesome you are great you are incredible that's not how they approached him you know what they did they came to him and having lived through and experienced one of the greatest miracles that the world's ever known, they said, what sign are you going to give us so that we can believe? Think about that. They've just experienced an amazing thing. And the very next time they see Jesus, what sign, what miracle are you going to do? as if the one that he had just performed was not good enough. you got to do something else. I have to have something else before I will believe. Let me tell you something. When God does something in your life that is undeniably from his hand, you better accept it and run like crazy. Because it may be a long time before he performs another miracle or sign in your life. And you're going to have to live by faith. You say, okay, pastor, you were doing fine earlier, but now I'm just about to have had enough of this. Listen, I'm, I'm going to tell you the truth the way it is. God doesn't always deal with you through miracles and signs. Wouldn't it make sense that when they came to Jesus and said, what sign are you going to give that will allow us to believe? Jesus could have just said, you know, I'm glad you asked. I had another one right here in my back pocket. I think I'll just do this today and we'll just, we'll just let you look at it and determine whether or not I'm real or not. Uh, let's just do this miracle right here. Boom! Why didn't Jesus do that? Why hasn't Jesus performed the miracle you've been asking him for? 
You say, well, pastor, you're just, you need to mind your own business. Okay, I'll let you know. I'm minding my own business. I've been praying with my wife now for at least two or three years for a miracle of healing in her body. Those of you who attend here, you know that she struggled with Parkinson's. And there have been times that we've together had to fight it and fight it and fight it and fight it. And we have prayed together and asked God for a miracle. And I'm still believing God for a miracle. I still believe that God is able to give her the miracle of healing in her body. But listen, if, if we're not careful, every time we can go to prayer, we can go to prayer and say, God, God, give us a miracle. Give us a miracle. Give us a miracle. We need a miracle of healing. Give us a miracle. And we forget that the miracle is not what we should be seeking. We should be seeking the presence of Jesus uh, who will provide the grace that we need uh, in the moment that we have to fight the battle. And see, I know people that have quit serving Jesus because they didn't get the miracle that they were looking for. They didn't get the answer the way that they had asked for it. Lord, I ask you to save my child. And you haven't saved my child yet. And so if you won't save my child, I'm, I'm going to quit. I'm going to give up. Listen, if, you're, if that's your attitude and your mentality, you're not serving Jesus because you love Jesus. You're seeking Jesus because of what you think Jesus might do for you rather than seeking Jesus for who He is. Apostle Paul said, I had a messenger from Satan dogging me everywhere I went. Three times I asked the Lord to remove that thorn in my flesh. And three times the Lord said, no, I'm not going to do that. But I tell you what I will do. I will give you grace that will be sufficient to see you through it there are times that God will work a miracle he fed 5,000 but when they said give us another sign so that we can believe he refused to do it why <clears throat> because because God knows that we have a tendency to just seek after the signs and seek after the miracles and seek after the blessings yeah, I was thinking this week when those young people, I, I, was, I was shocked by it. I was surprised by it. I wasn't expecting it. But I'm, I'm standing there in praise and worship and I've got my eyes closed and I'm, I'm lifting up Jesus along with all the other people that are there in the conference and we're worshiping God. And all of a sudden I started hearing a, a commotion going on and a, and a noise going on and I opened my eyes and there were young people just running from the back of the tabernacle, from the side of the tabernacle from the front of the tabernacle all coming down front and they got down there and they started doing that jumping up and down up and down up and down and I'm telling you I just started grinning and smiling from my left ear to my right ear because they had come to worship Jesus they weren't asking for a miracle they weren't asking for a reason to believe they were just infatuated with Jesus Christ and wanted to express their love for who he is. 
And I don't mind telling you as a pastor, I thought to myself, I want to see that in my church. I, I, I just, I wonder what it would be like if somebody just sitting in the pew or sitting in the chair, or standing at their chair, and they decide, I can't sit back here anymore. I, I've got to seek Jesus. I've got to come down to the altar. And I'm coming down not so that I can be prayed for it, not so that I can be healed, and not so that I can have a financial miracle, and not so that I can have an emotional uh, experience. I'm coming down because I can't stand back here anymore. I've got to go and I've got to worship Jesus. Jesus. I, I've got to glorify His name. I, I've got to make sure that He knows and understands uh, that I love Him with every ounce of energy and everything in my being. we got to love Him even when there's no miracle. Why don't you just give us another sign? Why don't you just do something else? Maybe I believe then. You remember Doubting Thomas? They came and they said, hey, he's alive. He's alive. He's shown himself. He said, I don't know. I have to see it to believe it. I can't believe unless I see. Have you ever felt like that? And then Jesus came. And he showed up. There's no miracle. It's just Jesus and Thomas. And Jesus looks at him and he says, stretch your hand over here. Put your hand in my nail prints. Take your hand and place it in my side. And when Thomas did that, the scripture tells us that he fell down before Jesus. And he said, my Lord, and my God. The only thing that had changed is that he recognized that Jesus was alive and well and standing right in front of him. Listen, I want to challenge you today. Instead of seeking a miracle every time you turn around, instead of asking God to prove himself one more time, Instead of just going to Jesus all the time and saying, Oh, Lord, will you do this? And Lord, will you do that? And Lord, if you'll just do this. And Lord, if you'll just send that. And Lord, if you'll just give me one more reason to believe. Instead of that, why don't you just come to him and say, Lord, if I never receive another miracle, if I never am healed again, if I never have another financial blessing in my life, if it never comes again, if I never have what I've dreamed of, I want you to know, that you are enough for me and I will serve you and accept you. <laughs> I often remind myself that she's healed. You say, I don't know. If she was healed, she wouldn't be dragging that cane around. Let me tell you something. She is healed. She may not have received the physical manifestation of it, but whenever the day comes that Jesus decides to bring her home, she won't need a cane, and she won't need a pill, and she won't need anything that she has to help her now. Because in the presence of Jesus, there will be no pain. There will be no suffering. There will be no sickness. There will be no tears. She's healed. 
And you are blessed because what Jesus has done. Robert Capone said the Messiah was not going to save the world by the miraculous band-aid interventions. Can I just stop long enough to say that we love band-aids. We love spiritual band-aids. Lord, if you'll just touch me in this area, I might just put a little band-aid on it. I don't want to have to fast and pray because that's too much effort. I need this devil cast out, but Lord, I, I don't really want to pay the price for it. I don't, I don't really want to have to do anything to achieve that. Just put a band-aid on it. I don't, I don't really want to have to read the Word of God for myself. That, that, that's what the pastor's for. I'll go once a week, and I'll let him preach, and I'll, he can say anything he wants to say, and then I'll choose whether or not I'm going to accept it and receive it or whether or not I'm not. We don't want to read the Bible for ourselves because that's just too much work. And that's just too much effort. We don't want to pray for ourselves. I, I'm, not, I'm not proud of this moment. But I remember several, several years ago as a young pastor, I had in my soul and in my mind that people needed to be praying for themselves. I don't mind praying for people. But there was this one lady in my church where I was pastoring that she never, I don't even think she knew how to pray. She called me every other day, Pastor, pray for this, Pastor, pray for that, Pastor, pray. Every time we'd come to church, she'd be the first one up in the altar. Pastor, I want you to pray for me about this, Pastor. And I, again, I don't mind, but on this particular day, I was feeling a little bit wiry. And she came up and she said, Pastor, will you pray for me today? And I said, No. And she looked at me. And I said, when are you going to learn that you can pray for yourself? I said, you don't have to wait. If you're suffering on Monday, you don't have to wait to Sunday to come and have somebody lay their hands on you. You can lay your hands on yourself. I don't have any oil. I said, go get you some cooking oil out of your cabinet and Dip your finger down in it and put it on your forehead and pray for yourself. Stop asking for your answers to come through and by someone else and learn that wherever you are and whatever you're facing. I had one person say, I'm going to get saved Sunday. What? I've already made up my mind. When I get to church Sunday... I'm going to come to the altar and get saved. And I said, you better hope that you don't have a car accident before Sunday. You better hope that you don't have one of those widow maker heart attacks before Sunday. I said, why don't you go ahead and get saved right now? Well, I want to do it in church. I said, what if you don't ever make it back to church? You need to get saved. Let's do it right now. I don't have a whole lot of confidence that you're going to make it till Sunday. Let's, let's take care of this right now. What am I saying? 
I'm saying that we religious people get so caught up in the religious stuff that we realize that religion is only about religion. And what we need is a relationship with the bread of life. I've said it almost every Sunday for the last month. Jesus did not save you so that you could be a religious person. I'm glad you come to church. I'm thrilled that you paid your tithe. I'm glad that you give to world missions. I'm glad that you volunteer. I'm thrilled with all of that. But he did not save you to simply be a religious person. He saved you so that you could have a relationship with the very Son of God. And relationships last forever. Number three. So that means that he's on his last point and he's getting ready to quit. So you can go ahead and start thinking about your fried chicken now. Somebody sent me a text this morning. They said, Pastor, I've got a commitment today. I'm going to have to leave at 20 till. And I said, you can't leave at 20 till. I said, the last 20 minutes are always the best. The individual said, well, that's debatable. And I said, yeah, well... I'm telling you, the last 20 minutes are the best. So hang on. The third thing that Jesus had to deal with is they forgot that human life must be viewed as spiritual life. We're not just humans. I wish I had better news for you when it comes to how long that we're going to live and if we're going to live forever on this earth but the news is this i don't know how long you're going to live the creator knows he knows exactly how many days that you have on the face of this earth that's what the scripture teaches us he knows i don't i don't know how many you have i don't know how many i have if we're not careful we'll start living in such a way that we're saying, I want to live forever in this body. So we take medicine. We go to doctors. We exercise. Well, two of us do. I, and I'm not one of them. I, I mean, we do all this stuff so we can live a long, blessed life. And there's nothing wrong with that. I go to the doctor. I take a pill or two. I do those things because I want to live. I want to live as long as God will let me live. But let me tell you something. Here's what I've learned. I don't know how long I'm going to live. But I do know that when Jesus decides that my days are over, I don't have to cry about it. Because to be absent from this body means to be present with the Lord. You may be walking like this today. You may be barely getting by. But just this fast, when you have taken your last breath, if you are saved, you are going to walk right into the presence of Jesus Christ and you'll straighten up your bent over body.
You're going to lay that body down. You're going to lay depression down. You're going to lay discouragement down. You're going to lay disease down. You're going to lay cancer down. You're going to lay diabetes down. You're going to lay it all down because you're going to be in the presence of the one who will eternally heal you. Spiritual. Everlasting. Matthew chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 says, Then Satan, the tempter, came to Jesus and approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man must not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Come by some come help me stop if you will. In Galilee, they would have considered bread to be one of the staple food items. In fact, even in our society, how many of you know that if a hurricane's coming or if a storm's coming and they're saying that or a snowstorm, they're we're gonna have a foot of snow. What happens? Everybody gets in their car and they go to Kroger or wherever, Aldi's, or wherever. And you know what they're buying? They're, they're buying bread and milk. Bread and milk. Got to have bread and milk. Can't have a Spam sandwich if I don't have bread. Can't eat my bologna if I don't have bread. Can't have toast if I don't have bread. Got to have bread. Got to have me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Got to have bread. Got to have bread. Got to have milk. I can't eat my cereal without milk. Got to have that milk. Can't feed the baby without milk. Got to have milk. Got to have those things. Everybody runs to the store to get the staple food items. In Galilee, they would have known what Jesus was saying about bread. Because it was one of the primary things that they ate. In fact, in some settings, it was the only thing that they would eat. They would eat bread, some type of bread. And so they understood that bread is the main course. It, it accompanies every meal that they would eat. And what Jesus is saying here is, I'm necessary. I'm the staple that you should have in your life. If you don't have anything else, you ought to have Jesus. If you don't have a husband or a wife, you ought to have Jesus. If you don't have any kids, you ought to have Jesus. In fact, if you have kids in your house, you probably won't have any other kind of bread in your house. Jesus will be the only bread you'll have. My grandkids come over, and if they're only there five minutes, they eat all the groceries that are there. There have been times that they brought grocery bags with them when they came to visit us so that they could get all the snacks out of the cabinet. And I'm thrilled to death that they do it. I'm glad they come see Grammy and Pops. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I'm necessary. I'm essential. 
I'm not an option. I, I'm, I'm not just an add-on. And that's the problem with so many people in their relationship with Christ. He's just an add-on. Come to church every two or three weeks. Jesus understands. No, he doesn't. The Word says, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some men are, and more so in the last days. That means before He comes again to collect His church, you ought to be attending church. You ought to be bringing your kids to church. Church ought to be more important to you than the ball games are and the school activities are. Church ought to be more important. I always tell when everybody's tuning me out because they start getting their phones out and it's like, okay, I need to think about something else here while pastor's, you know, shooting on that for a little while. Listen, you better listen to me. While your kids are young, you better train them up in the way they should go so that when they're old, they will not depart from it. It's your responsibility. It's not mine. I'm not going to call you on Friday night or excuse me, on Saturday night or on Wednesday afternoon to see if you're going to bring your kids to church. It's not my job. It's your job. But you need to get your kids in the house of the Lord. You need to get yourself in the house of the Lord. <laughs> the bread of life. It's essential. How many of you know you need food? You need nourishment. How many of you remember Barbara Walters? A few of you. Years ago, Barbara Walters did one of her interview specials. She'd have people come in and interview them. And on this particular show, she invited the three C's to come and sit down with her. One was Johnny Carson. Anybody remember him? One was Walter Cronkite. Can't even hardly say his name. And the third one was Johnny Cash. So she interviewed Johnny Carson first. And Johnny, in the interview, started talking about all the pleasurable things that he had done in his life. He was a beautiful example of a hedonist attitude. It's all about pleasure. It's whatever I can have for myself. But in the interview, he said, as much as I have sought pleasure, I'm at a place in my life where I can find none. Then she interviewed Walter Cronkite. And you remember him. Ah, he was just the philosopher. <clears throat> he would just talk about how things are and what they are and how they are and what it is and what it's not. And he talked about that humanist worldly philosophy. And he looked at his life philosophically. But here's what he said to her. He said, I have been laboring my whole life for something that does not satisfy. Everything I've poured myself into brings no satisfaction. None. And then old Johnny Cash, it was his turn. Hello, my name is Johnny Cash. 
And he says to Walter, or, or to, uh, to the interviewer, to Barbara, says, I make no bones about it. I'm an imperfect in- individual. I'm an alcoholic. I have abused drugs. I have experienced divorce in my life. Everybody would look at me and say that there's really no success in my life. He said, but that all changed when I met a man named Jesus. And when I met Jesus, there was a peace that came over me that I couldn't understand, but it has remained with me all these years. Was he a perfect man? Absolutely not. But that's not what mattered. What mattered is that he was a Jesus man. You know, there's been a lot of talk in the last few weeks about all these young people that have been going to Asbury and Lee University and others seeking something. They don't even know what they're seeking. Somebody asked me about it, what I thought, and I said, said, just like the Jesus Revolution from many, many years ago, and we just saw the movie and the theaters and all that. They came by the thousands seeking. But they weren't seeking Jesus. They didn't know anything about Jesus. They had just come from their parties where they had drugged themselves up with psychedelic psychedelic influences and and, and alcohol and, and, and sexual orgies and things of that nature. And that no longer was satisfying them and they wanted to experience something different. And so they came into that little church trying to decide what's the next thing that I can experience. And they did not know about a man named Jesus until somebody told them. And when somebody told them and they experienced Jesus, it changed their lives. I am the bread of life. So let me ask you, is anybody here hungry today? Is anybody here hungry? I want you to stand with me if you will. I want us to do this as we close this morning. I want us to just come seek Jesus. I mean, you may be sick in your body and you're hoping that, that we'll lay hands on you and pray for you. Listen, if you can just seek Jesus, get yourself from where you are to where He is, healing can happen in His presence. Maybe you're discouraged this morning. You're dealing with something that is just heavy on you. Jesus is the peace speaker. We need Jesus. It may be that you're here this morning and you've never given your life, your heart to Jesus. You can come right down here and find Him. And He will save your soul. He's the bread of life. As they begin to sing, I just want you to come down front. I want you to get as close. I know what you like to do. You like to stay as far back in case I decide to start spitting and laying hands on people. 
you're as far away from me as possible. But I want you to come down here and get as close to this altar as you can. And the minute you get here, I want you to just throw your hands up and start seeking Jesus. Just seek.